I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, I'm Alex McLaren. I'm an actor and I've worked as a communications coach since 2002. Now so much business is being conducted remotely, the ways in which we talk, present, build relationships and connect is changing. In this podcast, I want to explore all those issues and prove to you that no matter who you are, you can talk to anyone. Hello and welcome to You Can Talk to Anyone, the podcast where we open the bonnet on our communications engine. I'm Alex McLaren. And I'm Tom Zielinski. And this week, we wanted to talk about teasing. Um, <laughs> this is... Um, well, you would want to talk about that. Uh, well, well why, why do you think I would? Uh, no, I'm just being silly. Uh, but no, but I, I'm asking the question deliberately because I think some people do get into it and some people don't and I'm, I'm partly want to investigate why you and I have always I think because we've been in the making jokes with each other business have always had a pretty teasing relationship um, and I would say that it does feature in lots of friendships um, and but not all I don't want to assume that everybody listening to this is basically just like me or just like us and um, what's your relationship been with this as a sort of a way of engaging with others, Tom? It's definitely a sign, I think, of comfort. Right, okay. If I can <clears throat> raise mm. or more specifically lower mm. your status <laughs> in a playful way <laughs> and you enjoy it, then clearly we both feel very secure about what's going on here. Yes, okay. And if I attempt... A little playful teasing remark, mm. and it's met with frosty indifference or some sort of uh, <laughs> or, or outright hostility. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, then that's a very clear sign to back off. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think in general that basically has been my position, and I, I, I'm just aware that some people listening to this, because um, when I floated this as a sort of as a way of thinking about teasing. Um, in groups of people I don't know particularly well, you sometimes find that there are people there who go, oh my God, what does this mean about my relationships? Because maybe teasing doesn't feature quite so often with them as it does with me. So I don't want to suggest that this is the be all and end all as a way of thinking about it. But I think in general, you're right. Yeah, I mean, there is a negative component. Yeah. A lot of people, especially at work, are going to be anxious about teasing. Because they've seen something which looks like teasing, yeah. which is actually being used not to level the playing field, mm. quite the contrary. It's being used by somebody in a position of power yeah. to shore up that position of power and make sure the underlings don't get ideas above their station. Yes, or it can sometimes be uh, a strategy for fixing things in a particular kind of pattern. Let me, sorry, let me tell you a story, actually. this is, uh, this is <laughs> um, So when I was a... 
a drama student. Okay, this is uh, so. And, and at conservatoires, they work you very hard. Um, they would give us lots, <laughs> lots of uh, things to learn by heart, and uh, partly because I, I didn't find it particularly difficult, but also because I was obviously determined to try and do things well. It meant I ended up being a mildly perfectionist and often procrastinate to the point in which I wouldn't actually do it at all. Um, and I remember one, and, and there was one evening when I was uh, back in our flat and my beloved flatmate, Reese Harris, who, as you may remember, had, uh, has a very keen eye for human foibles. Um, he asked me, he said, come on, Alex, come to the pub. And I said, no, I can't. I've got to learn these lines for this, uh, this audition we've got coming up. And he said, you won't get it done. Don't bother. Just come to the pub. At least you'll have a good evening. Um, so I didn't go to the pub. And he rolled back after closing time, happy and drunk, having had a great time. He said, how did you get on with the lines? And I said, I didn't get anywhere, Reese." And he said... <laughs> Ah, there you go, fannying around again. And he then started to call me Fanny at home. All right, this became my name by Reese in the flat. Okay, so very, and this is this is affectionate teasing from Reese. But then the rest of the class all then started to call me Fanny. Okay, so you could argue that this was like a fun joke, right? A teasing joke, um, which then became like, oh, this is too much fun. Everybody has to join in on it. Um, so there are people who know me from that period of my life by that nickname. Now. Maybe to a degree, nicknames are pinning. Maybe it's a little bit of both, or it was it was a joke, which also became a kind of a framework. But I'm very aware that sometimes people are deliberately actually saying this is a joke, but actually I'm using it to control rather than to liberate and free up. <clears throat> and the difference is something which the person issuing the tease, mm. uh, inventing and bestowing the nickname, <laughs> it's something that, that they can't know, which yes. is how do you feel about it? Mm. Because if I invent a silly nickname for you and you laugh uproariously yes. and go along <coughs> with a joke and introduce yourself to other people yeah. with that name, I'm on pretty <laughs> solid ground. But there mm. is, in those kind of teasing situations, mm. quite a lot of social pressure to be a good sport. Yes, indeed. And yeah. to have a good sense of humour, even though you might be dying inside. Yes, that element about... Uh... Being a good sport about it. I've always thought that the, often the difference between teasing and bullying is often, uh, do I have the consent of the person on the other end of this? And one of the, I think the interesting challenges is actually reading that consent because we don't formally write each other notes like... Tom, yeah. we are now friends. <laughs> I've, here's the certificate which I sign off. You are now allowed to take the piss out of me. Um, we sort of work our way to that place over a period of time. I imagine when improvisers are meeting and playing, you get there pretty quickly. Mm. And I think that when others see me or people like us from the kind of the performance and comedy world, they assume that we're going to be game for a laugh straight away in any circumstance, which isn't necessarily always the case. No. But those permissions are sort of, they're tacit. They're sort of, they're, they're things that we sort of figure out. Yeah, you have to feel them. And I'd say it's it's not the responsibility of the tease Yes. to communicate clearly to the teaser, I'm fine with this. No. It's the responsibility of the teaser to be sure that the TZ is having a good time. Yes, and, and also, or at least to, to absolutely have tuned up their antenna to the nth degree in order to soak up every little bit of message. And I'd, I'd say also, maybe one, uh, one way of thinking about this is that that relationship and that permission needs to be something that you allow to be a little bit flexible because it's inevitable. 
that sometimes we go a little bit too far. We slightly cross the line. And it's actually quite a lot to ask somebody else to say you cross the line there because then they're confronting you with your own mistake. Um, and, uh, and in fact, the, the, sometimes you learn so much from this, like my drama school nickname, that actually kind of becomes incredibly useful to you in the future. Um, I, think, I think that's often what happens when people are saying, how do we make an interaction fun? How do we, make, uh, how do we create the, the spark um, that seems to be happening when people are enjoying getting to know each other? I think what they're really looking for is, I suppose, a, an exploration of that status dynamic between strangers. And this sort of playfulness, you know, it's something that we put into all of our training. I'm going to just pull the curtain back a little bit mm. uh, and uh, share something from the, one of the things that I do training. Yesterday, I was doing a Zoom session about storytelling, mm -hmm. and I have a standard demonstration. I do a kind of before and after version of the same piece of material, first approached in a very dry, just the facts, slides, first speaker, second approach. And in only a few minutes, everybody turns off and mm. nobody thinks that it was worth listening to. And then a second version where the emphasis is all on me and I'm telling a story, I'm barely using the slides at all. And the contrast is often quite stark. Mm. So when I finish the second version, I have a standard joke that I do. And I also I hate saying this because I know I'm destroying the magic and I know that it's always more appealing to believe that these funny remarks are off the cuff. And of course, different groups respond differently, mm. but this is one which usually gets a big reaction. So I finish the second version and then I say, hopefully you think that's an improvement. Otherwise, today has been a bit of a waste of your time for which I am sorry. <laughs> and people find that very funny. I mean, it's mm. one of those things, I, I, I said it once and it got a big reaction, so I kept it in. Yeah, yeah indeed. But there's a playfulness to it. Because first of all, I'm genuinely saying, give me your true responses. And I have occasionally had people who are used to doing very fact and number-oriented presentations mm. who've said, I prefer the first one. It doesn't mm. happen very often, but it does mm. happen. And I want the door to be open to that because I want that conversation to be had. But also what I'm saying is, I may have just wasted your time. Mm. And I'm not yes. just saying I wasted your time for the last 10 minutes. I'm saying this whole workshop going to be yeah. a waste of your time. <laughs> Comedians often make the distinction between punching up and punching down. Mm. If you are a comedian in the upstairs room of a pub, or even actually you're a comedian on Live at the Apollo, mm. and, and you're having a go at the Prime Minister, you're punching up. Yes. Ideally, you're telling truth to power. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you are a privileged person having a go at, well, I mean, Jimmy Carr got into trouble very recently for a joke about a sector of the community who doesn't have all the kind of advantages that people like Jimmy Carr have. And that's punching down. That again is emphasizing your innate superiority mm. and inviting other people who share that superiority yes. to laugh along at the expense of the poor unfortunates. Mm. And it, I don't know, it, it sticks in my throat. Yeah, it's, it's, it, I suppose when we're teasing others in some way, particularly when you were talking earlier on about the business of lowering somebody, other, another person's status, mocking someone for fun, all right? Um, and I'm, I suppose it's funny, I'm thinking about this because I've got an 11-year-old son who's kind of about to learn all the things I learned as a teenager, and our family tease each other an enormous amount, right? Um, Zoe and I are constantly needling each other and having, and we're enjoying this, by the way, and, uh, but we don't tease Frank, okay? So he's witnessing us playing this game with each other, but we don't do it to him. 
um, I'm, I'm rem trying to remember my own adolescence in which basically my, my brothers and I were constantly ranking ourselves and each other. And it seems to be a thing among teenage boys. I don't know what it's like uh, the families of girls out there. Um, but noticing a sort of a, a healthy playfulness between people and that actually that, that, that to, to know each other with all of our weaknesses you're not just utterly vulnerable to somebody to exploit you. Actually, that is part of what loving our close friends is like. And if we don't acknowledge um, not only our own foibles, but others, then that kind of puts a bit of distance between us. Am I making sense? Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm very conscious that he's the vulnerable one in the household. He's not a grown-up. He doesn't have all the experiences and the sort of emotional apparatus of adults. And so he's going to take a while to get there. But there is one context in which it kind of does happen. Frank, ever since he's a baby, has insisted on me tickling him. And in some ways, I think that this is a little bit like the sort of verbal teasing that Zoe and I are doing, in which effectively we render him helpless and he kind of loves it. We have to have safe words, um, <laughs> <laughs> which we then have to cycle through. We have to kind of have new ones because we want to kind of push the envelope a little bit. Um, and, uh, and so he started getting into this sort of this, this level of awareness of this is going to be a game in which we kind of we sort of are fighting but there is a very, very clear set of consent. And in fact, if he wants tickling these days, I won't tend to initiate this. He will say with a straight face, I wonder if we should just go and sit on the sofa over there. And, that, and that, that's the kind of, that. there's the tacit permission yeah. to put ourselves in each other's power, I think. And I think that, that that is what is happening when people are happy with being needled and mildly mocked by people who absolutely love them. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I mean, certainly with you and Zoe, it's clear that there isn't a, a dominant member and a subordinate member. <laughs> well, you, yes, yes, there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, exactly. It's, and, it's, and, and so that's why you're free to raise and lower each yes, other's status. Yeah, we're, we're managing a, that so that we have a, a, some parity, and which is really important in intimate relationships. But with a parent and a child, mm. parents make all the rules, yeah. have all the resources, uh, and know everything. Mm. And so the children will be the weaker party. Uh, and you can certainly imagine a toxic, dysfunctional relationship where I would say actually particularly, uh, and maybe I'm just being incredibly unkind to people in this position, but I imagine particularly step-parents uh, who haven't known the child since they were tiny. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, who've come into the family later uh, will be defensive and will 
tease this poor child and make them feel miserable. I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly sure there are biological parents who do that as well, but I would, my guess would be that it would be more common to see that kind of dysfunction with somebody who hasn't known you since you were tiny. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't speak for personal experience, but I, but I do recognize that when you see step relationships which are profoundly sort of benevolent and flourishing, you always notice it because of, of the, you know, the anxiety I would have going into that situation. Um, absolutely, because you kind of go, well, what, what's the, it's, it's a kind of a very un, a different situation, a kind of status dynamic within it, which, which because you're a new person, but also a senior person. Um, I think you can almost see elements of that within working teams and dynamics as well. If you're coming in new but senior, that's yes. a place you have to earn uh, and a position you have to earn. And uh, and I, I would advise people to be very careful about teasing <laughs> if they were in that position. Thinking <clears throat> back to your days in the theatre, mm. strikes me that that's quite similar to forming a company. Yes. And you have a director, typically, who is the most dominant figure in the room. Can you think of directors you worked with who did a good job at establishing a warm, playful, teasing atmosphere? Can you think of directors who did a poor job or who were doing that kind of negative bullying teasing in order to emphasize the fact that this is their rehearsal room and they're the boss? Well, so I'm thinking of the most of the, some of the most happiest companies I've been part of. Uh, a director I can think of who was very successful at establishing a very happy company um, which, you know, a big group of people and making sure they stayed happy from the beginning to the end of the process, which is by no means an easy task. Um, his name is Andrew, and he was naturally, still is, um, uh, quite a high status player, quite severely high status, not not negative or damagingly critical in any way. But he had a lot of authority. He, he sort of he was unassailably the boss in the room, and not just because of the fact that of the job he was doing in the space. Um, he didn't tease people at all. He would he would kind of allow the company to do that. So he was almost uh, he would definitely enjoy the teasing that was happening, but he wouldn't join in himself. And I think it's possibly because he understood how the uh, power dynamic meant that the permissions were not going to be even on your side and my side. Um, occasionally, people would sort of mildly tease him and he would enjoy that like a kind of a grandfather but he wouldn't respond to it he'd just twinkle and smile um, and then the conversation would nervously and gigglingly move on because he wanted you to recognize he was happy with being seen for who he was but he also recognized his responsibility to hold the playfulness of other people uh, I think that um, he would occasionally tell stories which lowered his own status and talk about his own fallibility Sometimes it's just about identifying patterns. Mm. You know, if you watch a... This is what you're like. Yeah, exactly. If you watch a good <laughs> sitcom, one of the pleasures you have is that after a while you get to know the characters and you sort of know how they would react mm. in a given situation. And that's part of the pleasure of creating sitcoms as well as part of the pleasure of watching them. Uh, you get to a point when you just go, oh, I can put these three characters together mm. in more or less any situation yeah. and I instantly know how they'll all react. How are they going to react? So if in your working life you are in a state of anxiety and you're trying to keep your professional mask in place mm. and hide all the quirky individual things about you away and just yes. try to be normal like everybody else, you never discover those things mm. about you which will give other people permission to tease you. You'll never expose yourself in that way. No one else will ever be able to say, oh, that's so like you yes. because you're not like anything. Yeah, exactly. So it is a risk yes. because you open yourself up to teasing. But once everybody does that, you have, I think, a much more 
positive, open, fun place to be at work. I think maybe one reason why that sort of being known is it can be threatening is that if you tell me what I'm like, then other people are defining me. And I think that something which is which people don't necessarily easily find comfortable is to be defined by other people. You can't give yourself a nickname. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> people who do that for ourselves. People who do that. Everyone yeah. calls me Ace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've had that. No, they don't. The big sitcom when I was kind of beginning to sort of step with head out into adult life was Friends, okay? yes. which came out when I was a university student. When it was, was it Channel 4 it came on? Yes, I think um, so. And, and what's interesting about them is if you think about how everybody is seemed to be quite happy, Joey included, with the fact that Joey is a moron. Um, all of the friends seem to be quite happy, Monica included, with the fact that Monica is a frantically uptight control freak. And these are this isn't always the case. You know, if you, you I don't want I don't want to be seen as dimmer than my friends. But when you look at that sort of it's like a little sort of fantasy community of people who, for narrative reasons, are very different from each other in a way that perhaps a group of actual friends aren't necessarily. You don't select your friends for variety. You select them... Actually, you don't select your friends anyway. I, I, actually, I suppose in some ways we do, I do select my friends. I, I, like, I like loads of different people in my life. Um, but the, the moments of chemistry between us don't happen because we have completely different values or reactions to things or whatever. It's, uh, there are bits of sympathy um, which will always hold us together. And if we were constantly emphasizing the difference, which is what needs to happen, I think, for sitcoms and, uh, and, and openly talking about that, it might actually have a sort of a damaging downside. Yes, I don't think a sitcom world would be a particularly fun one to inhabit. Oh, I've been thinking that's because that's what the office is exploring. Of course, You're one character yes. who believes that his life should his be life more is like a sitcom. sitcom. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. and that's a great example as well, particularly the British version of mm. uh, somebody who thinks he has absolute permission to tease yes. other people and is completely oblivious to the fact yeah. that, by and large, they hate they it. They hate it, but they, there's no permission for this at yeah. all. Yeah. And just to re-emphasize that point as well, there's a legal principle which I think is instructive here, mm. uh, that of the eggshell skull. Have you heard that before? No. So the idea is uh, that if I uh, hit you on the head, mm. then I've done a bad thing. <laughs> okay? But the badness of that thing, in part is going to change depending on how severe the injury is. Mm. If I hit you on the head and you say, ow, and that's the end of it, I've done a less bad thing than if I hit someone else on the head with the same force and with the same malevolent intent. Yes. But simply because they have an eggshell skull, mm. I do them permanent, damage. irrevocable damage. Yeah. Uh, and the onus is on the person doing the bad thing not to do the bad thing, <laughs> not on the person with the eggshell skull not to have an eggshell skull. And so yeah. that's what I was getting at before. Mm. It's The onus is on the teaser to make sure that they're giving the teaser a good time. This is particularly relevant, I think, because one... Uh, the, the, at the moment, I, I feel like there is a reasonable, particularly in workplaces, uh, anxiety about banter. Okay. I think the reason people are anxious about it is that in an ideal world, everybody's having fun joking around. But what is actually happening is a sort of a poisonous and pernicious, vicious, controlling cycle of bullying is actually going on with big smiles on everybody's faces. Because you can bully somebody without ever addressing them. You yes. and I can yeah, yeah. socially exclude somebody yeah, yeah. by making jokes that they can't participate in. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that is 
that is uh, a very poor way to live your life. Extremely bad form. And, and, and also I think it can be very, very male. I don't know whether – I'm trying to think of uh, – uh, I, I don't tend to hang around in very unhealthy or male environments in which this is the case. And in fact, I'm looking at – I think I'm thinking of a, an example where – uh, I was invited along to something, and it was just blokes. And I remember thinking, I'm very uncomfortable with the the level of bantery um, uh, badinage <laughs> here. Um, but because I'm new, I also need to be conscious that some of my issues will be just anxiety that I don't quite know the levels of permission that people are giving each other yet. Um, and I'm also aware that nobody's teasing me yet, but they're also not, there's no singular effort to be well behaved with a new person for a while. Um, and, uh, and I ended up kind of not being part of that gang quite quickly after that. But I did give it a few more tries because I just wanted to see I wanted to test my own reactions, I think. And I think ultimately I thought, well, I, I don't know, even if these people are really enjoying this level of teasing, I definitely am not going to. <laughs> so, so I'm out. Um, and so it may be that everybody comes with their own um, internal sort of kind of thermometer um, for, for that, that kind of uh, level of things. And I just want to urge anybody listening to this to trust their own internal thermometer here and certainly explore it and discuss it. But ultimately, your your own hunches are what matter because uh, your, your permissions are incredibly powerful. And if you're in doubt, rather than asking the person that you fear you may have made uncomfortable because there's so much pressure on them to say, no, no, it's fine. No, 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 I love it. Yeah. You know, call me those names all the time. I couldn't, I couldn't enjoy anything more. <laughs> Ask someone else. Mm. Ask someone else who knows at least one of you, preferably both of you, and ask someone who's seen the mm. interaction and ask them what their guess is. They yeah. won't know, but ask them what their guess is and then you can factor that in. You can accept what they say or reject yeah. it, but they have a different, probably more objective view of the relationship than you do. Yeah, and also feel free. I mean, this is the, the, I guess a really a key thing and maybe something which people will recognize is scary. You have a right to change and shift your permissions about particular kinds of jokes. Um, it can feel tumultuous to overturn a pattern which apparently everybody was comfortable with for some time. I remember once, it was a, years ago, there was a, a guy I knew at college and he, he was a big, strong fella, okay? Um, and, but when he was at school, he'd acquired a nickname, which was Beast. <laughs> And I can sort of imagine in a very macho, all-male environment when you're a teenage boy, yeah, I'll take that. I'll be beast. Um, but it's not a lot of use to you when you are becoming a young adult and mm. thinking about your future. And uh, and I remember the, the, the shock in his circle of friends when he said, I, I don't want to be called that. I'm John. It was also, I think, really important because I, I think I'd, from the outside, when you're still a boy, people's identities feel so kind of fixed and sort of but you're kind of you're negotiating your anxieties about them but realizing oh gosh behind somebody who's who looks like the incredible hulk and is known as beast is actually somebody who's quite vulnerable and inside everybody i think is that person um don't let that put you off being playful and exploring um strong relationships with teasing but be conscious when you're scared of people that behind them all is that kid who uh, is uh, is still squashy inside. 
Thank you so much for joining us to get in touch if you've got any particular teasing um, glory or horror stories to share with us. Or you just want to slag us off. <laughs> yeah, don't tease us. Um, we do lots of work with people at workplace, uh, doing workplace communication, so please do get in touch with us at alex at the-spontaneity-shop.com or tom at the-spontaneity-shop.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at Spontaneity Shop. Or you can give us a call, 020-778-4080. Tune in for future episodes. I'm Alex McLaren. And I'm Tom Selinski. Thank you and goodbye. You have been listening to You Can Talk To Anyone with Alex McLaren and Tom Selinski. The producer for The Spontaneity Shop was Tom Selinski. You Can Talk To Anyone is distributed exclusively by Acast.